Well, we are still in chapter 8 of the book of Romans, or in the book of Romans. It just kind of seems that, um, that we've been in this chapter for quite a while. Um, but it's only our third study in it. Um, and um, it just seems like we've done other things that kind of have prolonged us to be in this chapter, which I don't mind at all, because the other things that were uh, vital, important, that we had the, the purity semi, uh, um Seminary, um, ceremony, ceremony. Uh, we had that, and then last week we just kind of changed it up and did the Passion Week part. But it's kept us in Romans chapter 8, which again, I don't mind because it's one of my favorite chapters of all times. And there is still much more that we can do. Um, in our first study, in, in, in this book, or in this chapter, I mean, I had every intentions to cover part of what we're going to be covering tonight. I had every intention to cover verses 14 through 17 in our first study, mind you, from verse 1 to 17. I was going to cover that. Didn't even get close. I think we covered until verse 4, maybe 5. And then when we got into the second study, um, I was supposed to cover these verses as well, verses 14 through 17. And um, again, I didn't get to get to what I wanted to get to. Um, And so we kind of like, okay. so tonight I could guarantee you that we will cover verses 14 to 17, because that's where we're going to start off. And so we will we will get in there this time unless something else happens. And I just keep on talking. It's like, oh, we ran out of time again. No, that's not going to happen. But And so tonight, I can guarantee you, because we're going to start off there, and we will get through verses uh, 17, or 14 through 17. Now, I was going to do the rest of this chapter tonight, too. And as I got studying, um, we're not going to finish this chapter again. Uh, we'll, hopefully, we'll get to verse 27. Maybe not. Because as I was going through it again... I'm going, Lord, there is so much here. There is so much that, 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 that we have here. So let's just start off in verse 1, and we'll read to 17, and then we'll go see how far we get after that. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the flesh, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not Uh, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. 
So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, because of sin, but the spirit of life because of righteousness. For if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you will put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. These are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if, in, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, we w- that we may also be glorified together. Verse 14, verses 14 to 17, the long-awaited verses 14 to 17. We are finally there. He says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God. In, in, in Romans chapter 6, verse 16, it tells us, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey... You are that one's slave to obey, uh, that you, whom you obey, whether to sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. I, I, I would have to say that it is not enough to have the Spirit of God. It is not, for, it is not enough as believers to just have the Holy Spirit. We need to... No, the Holy Spirit has to have us. Because <laughs> we could say all day long that we have the Holy Spirit living in us, but does He truly rule and reign in your life? Does He truly lead you? Because again, we have the choice to make, as I was making a, a few weeks ago, the non-believer doesn't have the choices that you and I make or have as believers. We could walk in the flesh if we want, or we could walk in the Spirit. We could be led by the flesh, or we could be led by the Spirit. The non-believer doesn't have that choice. He is led by his flesh all the time. And so we have the decision to make. And we could say, once again, all day long, oh, I have the Holy Spirit living in me. But is he leading you? Are you being led by the Holy Spirit? Because again, it's, it's one thing to have the Holy Spirit and still do what I want, when I want, how I want. Dragging Him along as my little good luck charm 
When I need God, it's like, let me rub the Bible really quick. Let me open it up. Lord, tell me something. And, and you, you're in those predicaments where it's like, what do I do now? Because you haven't been led by the Spirit. You've been doing what you want, how you want, when you want. And then you're going like, Lord, how did I get here? Maybe you weren't being led by the Holy Spirit. Again, it's one thing to, to have the Holy Spirit like that. It's quite a different thing to be led by the Holy Spirit. In other words, to be led to do what He wants, when He wants, how He wants. See, that's where we get mixed up. <laughs> we can still be Christians and not be led by the Holy Spirit. Or we can be in a, such a place that we are submitting ourselves to saying, I do not want to do anything in my life that the Holy Spirit is not going before me. And He's leading me in that direction. Because again, we could convince ourselves to go do a lot of things, but we're not being led by the Spirit. And we might say the, the, the spiritual things. Oh, I prayed about it. It's like, really? And you're going to go do that. <laughs> and you're okay with that. Are you sure the Holy Spirit is leading you in this direction? Oh, yeah. Hmm. All right. <laughs> and, and, and again, it's like, okay, how is it going to turn out? I understand that even as we're being led by the Holy Spirit, there's trials and tribulations. Don't get me wrong. I understand that. But oftentimes we go and we jump off the cliff. It's like, Lord, you got to save me. Well, I didn't tell you to jump. <laughs> but I'm living on faith. It's like, well, that's kind of stupid faith. You know, you're not being led. You're going headlong and you're saying, come alongside, Jesus, because you've got to help me here. And granted, His grace is so sufficient that sometimes He does, man. He just like picks you back up, man. And He soups you up and you're going, see, I was being led. It's like, okay, whatever. Sometimes I think that God does just do the whatever. I'm there for you, man. And so, are we being led by the Holy Spirit? We still have to submit to His leading. That, that is an action that we take to be submitted to His leading. So, in, in contrast to being led by sin, which enslaves us and, and keeps us in bondage as slaves... To, to the point that we fear, we as believers have received the spirit of adoption, it says here. If we're being led by the Spirit of God, we are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. We have received that spirit of adoption, that, that word adoption is sonship. And it means the placing as a son. You have been placed as a son in the family of God. But believers are adopted sons, not slaves. I mean, we call ourselves bondservants. I understand that. We, we, we willingly submit to Him as our Master, but we are also His sons. You have been adopted into the family of God. You have privileges that those who are not sons have. <laughs> you have the privilege of being called a son. 
He, he looks at you as, your, as His Son, and He places you in that place of being a grown adult in His kingdom. In, in, in the New Testament times, um, adopted sons enjoyed the same privileges as naturally born sons, biological sons. So instead of cowering in, in slave-like fear... From a master, Christians can approach God in an intimate way to where we can call Him Abba, which means Father. The, the, the word Abba is, is a Greek and English transliteration of the Aramaic word Father. And it's an enduring term as one would call somebody a Papa, Papa, or Papi, you know, in Spanish. Papa. It's like you run to him as a child and you can curl up in his arms, still with a reverence of who he is, but he is your papa. And we have that privilege, not like a slave who has to bow down to his master, even though we do, we have the privilege because we're adopted to say, you're my papa, I get to run to you. I, I get to go sit on your lap. I mean, there's privileges to, be, to having a papa who sits on the throne. If your papa was the president of the United States, you can barge into the Oval Office just about any time you want to where everybody else needs an appointment and they bow down as they come in and kiss the ring, basically. But as a son, you don't have to, have to do that. You come and you sit on the lap of your papa. You're, you, you've been adopted. So besides being adopted into the family, into God's family as sons, believers are also His children. They're born ones. They're, they're, they're sons, mature sons, but they're also His children. And that means to be born by a new birth. And the Holy Spirit, again, is the one that, that, that gives us that life when we receive Christ. And it tells us here that the Holy Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit, not to our spirit, with our spirit, of the fact that there is a new birth. There's two witnesses there that there has been a birth. The Holy Spirit and you. He testifies with us before the judge, the fa- our Father, who happens to be our Father, um, that no, there, we, he, he has a new birth, He's yours. So we come into God's family by birth. But the instant that you are born into the family of God, God adopts us and gives us the position of adult sons. And so so you're in, but now you have all the privileges as an adult son. You see, a baby cannot walk, speak, make decisions, or draw from the family's wealth. I don't care what the E-Trade baby commercials say. Babies like that don't talk like that. They goo-goo-gaga. They cannot talk and articulate and make transactions on their iPhone. They can't do that. But we, as Christians, we come into the family of God as babies like that, and we kind of look like the... He trade baby. His lips are talking. You're a baby, but you get all the privileges you can withdraw from the wealth of your inheritance. 
That's, that's the difference here. That, that you are born into it, but you're also adopted into it. You're a baby in Christ, but you have all the maturity that, that God wants to give you at your disposal. All of your maturity. Everything that you need for life and godliness is attainable to you. First Peter chapter, Second Peter chapter one speaks about that. That the instant that we are in, we are as grown sons. You have all the privileges. So it doesn't matter. That's why, like in in the Christian economy, you can be a babe in Christ but grow exceedingly, and you can also be a babe in Christ and stay a babe in Christ. If you want. <laughs> but you have all the privileges to grow and to mature as a Christian. Many, in many families, fa- uh, children inherit the parents' estate. Each child is an heir. And the children together are co-heirs. So now you have to s- kind of split it. <laughs> Basically, and the same is true for the Christian, God's children. It says that we are heirs, but then it says, "But you are also joint heirs with Christ." Everything that is Christ, it's yours too. And again, you you begin to understand as we've been kind of going through this whole chapter that that man, there is no condemnation for you. Man, you can walk in the Spirit or walk in the flesh. If you walk in the Spirit and put to death the flesh, then you are adopted and you get to have all the privileges of an adopted son and you are heirs of, of, of the, the, what, the kingdom of heaven and everything that Christ has, it's yours also. He, he's, he's not going, well, why, why do I have to share? He's saying, man, everything that's mine is yours. It, it's all, all there for the taking you don't have to grow into it. You're already there. And I think as, as Christians, we sometimes feel like, well, I don't deserve that. And you don't. We don't. But he's telling us here that we are joint heirs or co-heirs with Christ. Anything that pertains to him pertains to us. God looks at us through Christ, but he gives us the same inheritance that belongs to him for us. Again, when you when you start thinking about all those kinds of things, you're going like, whoa, he has just lavished us to overflowing. As a new Christian, as an old Christian, everything is yours. You can walk in that. You, 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 you can be assured of that, that he's not going to like take it away from you anymore. It's yours. As believers, we are recipients of all spiritual blessings now, and in the future. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says, um, Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ? Ephesians 1 3. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. I, I don't know what every spiritual blessing is, <laughs> except that it is every one of them. All of them. However many spiritual blessings there is in Christ, every one of them is ours. And it's almost like I think sometimes we're satisfied with like, well, I'll just, just bless me, Lord. Just fill me right here. And he's going, that's all you want? Because I got all of it. All of it's yours. It's like, well, I don't deserve all of it. Well, of course you don't. But you want more? It's like, okay, a little bit more. 
No, every spiritual, okay, a little bit more. It's like, man, you, you, you can't even fathom all the spiritual blessings. That's what he wants to give to us, guys. Why? Because you're adopted. You're in the family. It's a good thing. It's a good thing that he has brought you in to this heavenly place and you can receive it now and forever. And he's not going to take it away. We get to share all the riches of the kingdom of heaven. And so as he's sharing this, he gets to verse 17. Again, as he's talking about errors and being joint errors. And, 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 and then he says, as we've been kind of covering, or we covered through First Peter, that there is no glory without suffering. If indeed we suffer with him, we shall, or uh, that we may also uh, be glorified together. We are... T- to be co-heirs of his suffering just as much as we're going to be co-heirs or we are co-heirs in his glory. There, there, there's something that, that, that kind of comes along with this being part of God's children. You suffer. <laughs> you suffer for it. That's what the world wants to do. <laughs> that, that, that's what happens in, in this life. We suffer. And so in verse 18, as he moves on here, he says... And I'll go to verse 25. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with, lab- with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also have, we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. I think verse 18 is one of those go-to verses that, that we need to know where it's at. You, you, you might want to underline it or circle it or highlight it or whatever you got to do, whatever you do in your Bible. It's one of those verses that we need to memorize in a sense. I, I, I think that if we can try and put things in perspective, if we can truly understand suffering that it is a part of what we have to go through, then I really believe that that verse, that we can appreciate it (laughs) if we put it in perspective. But to really appreciate this verse, you almost have to be an expert in suffering and in glory to really truly appreciate it. And the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, was an expert, I believe, 
in suffering and in glory. I, I, I don't think I could truly experience that verse, even through the sufferings that I may have gone through throughout my life. But the Apostle Paul, he, he's kind of an expert here. But that's not to say that whatever you suffer with is not real. <laughs> that you really haven't suffered. Ah, you have. not, no, your suffering is, is real. And what you're going through is, is so real. And, and you can appreciate this verse. But I think if we're really, if somebody is going to do it justice when you preach this or when you give this out or when you claim it, the Apostle Paul. Turn, turn over, if you will, to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. For the suffering part, I, I want to read to you some of the things that Paul went through. And then we're also going to read in that same chapter, in that same book, in chapter 12, for the glory part of what Paul went through. And, and so I, I, I feel like when he, he wrote this, this portion, verse 18, he, he understood exactly what it meant. Here, here's what, what he went through as, as, a, as a believer. Beginning in verse 23 of chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. They are ministers of Christ, Paul is speaking. I speak as a fool, I am more. In labor, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prison, more frequently. In deaths, often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often. In perils of water. In perils of robbers. In perils of my own countrymen. In perils of the Gentiles. In perils in the city. In perils in the wilderness. In perils in the sea. In perils among false brethren in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness, often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things that come upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. If somebody would have said, man, this suffering, (laughs) man, um, I kind of go through it daily. To, to, to be able to, to say, you know, here's my list of sufferings. You know, many of us could, could, could have a list of, of what we've suffered through, but, but can we really compare to what Paul kind of went through? You know, as, as I was thinking of, of just being, just, just receiving 40 lashes, 40 stripes, minus one, mercy. Five times. Can you imagine how many scars this man had? Can you imagine how his back looked? Can you imagine how he had to like walk <laughs> because of the pain? You know, to, to, to be beaten with rods at least three times. I don't know. Was it one time? Was it a Rodney King style thing? I don't know. What, 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 how, how was that beating? To be stoned and left for dead in Lystra. And they, they knew they were dead. They knew when they stoned somebody when somebody was dead. 
And so again, you know, you, you kind of look at, at this list and, and, and how many of us would say, man, I'm, I'm done. I'm done with this Christianity stuff. It's, it, you suffer too much. And yet he says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be revealed or, 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 or not to, to be compared with the glory. You see, he understood the glory also because when you go to verse chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, he says this. In verse 2, he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body or uh, I do not know, or whether out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Such a one was caught up into the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which are not lawful for a man to utter. You see, he saw something, he received something in that place that he saw the glory that was revealed in that place because he was caught up into a place where God dwelt and he's going, I don't know if I was dead or not. I'm thinking I was dead, I don't know. God does. And it's most believed that it was that time that he got stoned to death in Lystra and left for dead that he had died. And he came back. So he saw glory and he understood it. And what he sees in glory, he comes back and he begins to write. He says, for I consider, I reckon in the the King James. In other words, I take inventory and I estimate what happens now in this life. And what I know about what is awaiting me is nothing. Nothing. I mean, he gave us a list of how he suffered. And he's taken inventory of this whole thing. And he says, nothing. Nothing compares to that glory. Guys, there's nothing that compares to that glory from what Paul is saying here. Paul has computed, calculated, he has, he has counted over on a scale the sufferings on one side and the glory on the other side. And he has come to the conclusion that the glory out, outweighs any sufferings of this present time, of this present life. Why? Because he's an adopted son. He has seen the glory. He understands the glory. He knows that there's life. And he says that life cannot compare to this life, not this present time. And, and so he has considered all this stuff as he's been sharing through the book of Romans, as we've been covering in chapter 8, when he says, man, Christ died. He, 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 he condemned sin to where we can walk with no condemnation. He understands. He's seen the glory. He says, for I consider, I've taken the estimate, I've weighed it all out in the balance. And man, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared. Now, we can look at it as like, yeah, well, that was a long time ago, Paul. Things are different today. You don't understand what I'm going through. Guys, this, this scripture transcends time. It's as real today as it was the day he wrote it. It's as real today as when he saw glory. His sufferings are just as real as the sufferings that you're going through today. And he's saying, man, it's not worthy, guys. 
It, it can't even compare. It can't hold a candle to the glory that's awaiting me. Paul, Paul never said that he was an expert in suffering. I, I said that. <laughs> I, I, I look at this and I, I look at what he went through. It's like, man, if anybody said, man, this Christian stuff just doesn't work. <laughs> I get beat down all the time. It was Paul. And yet he says, I'll do it again. I'll do it again if I have to for the glory, for the excellency of Christ Jesus so I can see him forgetting those things which are behind and looking ahead at the, at the, at the prize because it's worth it. It's so worth it. And then he continues on in verse 19 to 20, 21. It says, For the earnest expectation of the creation, of the creation, it eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into a glorious liberty of the sons of God or the children of God. Paul is expressing here that creation itself Nature itself, the whole of creation is waiting and anticipating in expectation or with expectation eagerly for the sons of God to be revealed. Now, that will only happen when the Son of God, Jesus, comes for His own and sets up His kingdom. When He sets it up, then it will all be done. Of, of no fault, you see, it, it's no fault of its own creation that, that, that it, it, well, with the exclusion of man, that, the, that, that creation suffers. The, the, this world suffers. The things that, that this world is going through, not, not just the people, but the creation itself, it says that it's suffering. And it wants to go back, in a sense, to the way it was intended but it is subjected to the law of sin and death. Even creation is subject to it. It has been condemned to futility, to frustration, even this world that we live in. And it almost seems that it knows (laughs) that this is not all there is. Again, I'm not talking that the trees understand. It's like, man, I can't wait. I'm just saying as a whole, creation is saying... I, I groan for the time that we're done with this sin and death that, 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 that we've been, that has come upon us. There's an expectation that even the creation itself will be delivered from the bondage of corruption that's here on this earth. You see, this earth is not in a state of decay because of man made global warming. It is not in this state. It is in this state because man made a decision to sin. And that's why we find ourselves in where we are at today. Not all animals go extinct because of man. No, some go extinct because now they have an instinct and it's survival of the fittest. And so they kill each other. They don't care. They, they, these, these animals that are killing other animals are not going, oh man, we should save some for tomorrow. 
Instinct says, let's just chew that whole thing up. <laughs> we'll, we'll find another prey tomorrow. They don't care. Because there's an instinct within them, and it's caused by the fall. So, so you see, it's, it's survival of the fittest here. And the creation itself is understanding that, that the, the man cannot build or make this place better. Man is not that... I think man thinks too highly of himself and thinks that he can save this planet. I mean, not that we should be disobedient to what God has told us to care for this planet, but man thinks too highly of himself and they worship this whole thing. God's saying, you can't even stop it. (laughs) For we know that this whole creation groans, it says in verse 22. For we know that this, the whole creation groans and labors in birth pangs together until now. It, it's interesting that Paul, how Paul puts this. He doesn't say that the whole creation is being destroyed or dying. And there will be nothing left of it if we don't do something about it. He's not saying that. You see, again, man is thinking too highly of himself when he thinks, oh, it's a combustible engine that's causing all of this. It's like, no, it's just sin, man. Sin, what happened in the beginning, threw this whole creation into a place of disaster, or it has, it's groaning and it has labors like birth pangs, it says. There, there was groaning and labor that is associated with all of this. That means that there will that this is not all there is. There is a future hope of deliverance from suffering, from the curse of sin, even for the creation here on earth. Adam was given this creation and he brought it down to ruin because of sin. And now the whole creation suffers. And this suffering is by man, animal, and and all the material creation because of Adam's decision sin. But Jesus will deliver His creation in His timing because He has conquered sin and death. And He will lift it up and He will reign. Turn over, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 11. And what what, what He's talking about here in these verses from 19 to 22 around that area, He's he's talking about a time where where again, creation is looking forward to to the way it used to be or it should have been. And so Isaiah chapter 11, oops, it says this, talking about the future uh, tense where, where, where the kingdom will be established. But this is the way it was before the fall. It says, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the, the young goats. We're in uh, Isaiah 11.6. The leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion uh, and the far fatling together (laughs) and the little child shall lead them the the cow and the bear shall graze their little ones shall lie down together the lion shall eat straw like an ox 
the nursing child shall play with the cobra's hole. The weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of God as the waters cover the seas. He's talking about that this whole creation groans for a time like this, the millennial time, where where God will establish peace on earth again. And he will bring back and, and heal the creation that he had created. And so because of all that, creation groans. But it says that we will also, in verse 23, but not only that, we also have, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, back in Romans, eagerly waiting for the adoption of the redemption of our body. What we have today in the Holy Spirit is the first fruits of what is to come, the abundance of what is to come. Like the farmer who receives his first fruits of the initial uh, harvest, there's an expectation that there's more coming. And so the Holy Spirit is that first fruit that we have, that we get to experience here and, and enjoy life in Him today. But guys, this is not all there is. What we have is far more abundant, abundant than what we have here. And we can have an abundant life. But what we have looking forward, man, it's nothing to be compared. And again, how the farmer expects uh, all, all of this. And in a sense, this world is groaning. But not only the world, but it says that all creation, and we groan in verse 23. We groan ourselves, eagerly waiting for something better. Um, as we get older, uh, we tend to groan a little bit more. I don't know if you do it, but I'm finding that I'm, I'm groaning a lot more, even for the silliest things. Like, <clears throat> everything is a groan. It's like you youngsters are going like, oh, I don't understand. You'll get there. <laughs> Learn how to groan now because you will groan a lot more when you get older. <laughs> and I'm not even that old. Okay, I'm old. But, but I'm groaning a lot more. And it's interesting because, again, it's like this is just the physical thing, but my spirit within me is groaning for something better as well. It's like I can't wait. It's like, we'll, we'll get there one day. I was thinking of the groaning, man. We're groaning, groaning more and more as we get older. It's not because we're getting holier. It's just because we're getting older. But the inside, <laughs> the inside is what desires all that. While we are in this tent, in this body, we will continue to groan. In, in, in 2 Corinthians 5, where it says, uh, verses 1 through 8, For we know that if our earthly body, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, 
but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. That we, that he who has, uh, now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are in at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are confident. Yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Guys, there's a groaning within our spirit that wants to be further clothed, clothed with this body that will not die. This hope that we have in, in, in our tent as it's groaning, for sure there's an eager expectation because there's a hope and we need to persevere for that hope and not give up and not lose heart. Verses 26 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now He who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Guys, even in the groaning that we do, um, in one sense, the Holy Spirit knows exactly what we're saying. I don't know if you ever get to a point where just life, you know, and, and, and you just are wanting to cry out and you don't know what to say. And you just go, oh. and he knows exactly what you mean. He knows it. And it just seems like lately, even my in my mind, in my heart, in my life, there's been a lot of that lately in the last couple of weeks. And I think that's why these next weeks coming up, I think we're just going to have a groaning fest. Because I just, I just want to pray the will of God. <laughs> you see, when we groan like that, when we're going like, oh, Lord, oh, He knows exactly. And it says that the Holy Spirit prays perfectly. He makes intercessions with us. What a great prayer partner we have. You know, we might not be able to pray eloquently. We might not be able to say all the words that just flow and people are going, man, you pray so good. Can you imagine if the prayer team just came up and you came up for prayer and they just go, ah. You're probably going, are they disgusted at me? It's like, no, they're just praying perfectly for you. <laughs> the worship guys over there, or the prayer team is like, yeah, it's good. But again, sometimes we don't know how to pray, guys. We don't know exactly, Lord, I, I don't even know what to say. And you just like groan. Like, oh. I said, got it. Got it. You know, it, it, we didn't get to it tonight, but it says that, that, that Christ himself, who died and was raised, um, in verse 34, who even is at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Man, what a great prayer team we have. <laughs> we have me, I have the Holy Spirit, and I have Jesus interceding for me. And it's like, thank you guys. Thank you guys, because you guys are always praying for me. You know exactly how I need to pray. And when I don't have the words to pray, He does. Guys, it's okay if you can't pray eloquently. Yeah, if it's okay if you can't even say that word right. <laughs> but he knows 
He knows deep down in your heart what you're wanting to say. He says that He searches the heart and He knows the mind. He knows that. Guys, just rest in that. Man, He has you covered all the way around. He's adopted you. He's put you into the family. He's given you all the inheritance that belongs to Jesus. You know, one day we're going to stop groaning in this mind, in this life, and we're going to be in the presence of the Lord. But in the meantime, He gives us His Holy Spirit. And when we don't know how to do it, He does. When we don't know how to do it, He does. So we just rest in that. And so if you just groan from here on out, it's okay. It's okay, man. Let's just groan together, man. It's okay. He's, he's praying on your behalf. Guys, there's so much things that are going on in your lives. And you don't. You don't know how to do it. It's okay. I don't even know how to do it. <laughs> you come to me and it's like, geez, let's just groan together, bro. <laughs> I think we're just going to be groaning a little bit more. Now we know this, huh? It's like, hey, Zeke, groan with me. It's like, you got it, man. I've been groaning all day long for you because I have no clue how to pray for you right now. But I will groan for you, man. And so, guys, let's just groan. (laughs) It's going to be awkward, man. Maybe this is where tongues comes in. I don't know. Um, (laughs) It's like, man, they're speaking in tongues. No, they're just groaning. Let's not be afraid of the Holy Spirit. He is so there for you. Just rest. Just rest in that, people. Let's pray. Mm. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. When we don't know what to say, you do. When we don't know how to do it, you do, Lord. Lord, when we just cry because there's just so many things going on in our lives, Lord. You know what those tears are all about. You have searched the heart and you know the mind. Lord, you know the sufferings. And you you tell us through your word that we're going to get through these sufferings, Lord, because the glory that will be revealed is not worthy to be compared with these things, Lord. And so, Lord, help us to put those things in perspective tonight. Lord, my brothers and sisters who are here, who have been able to hear this portion of Scripture, Lord, I just pray right now, God, that they would just rest and give up. If if they have to groan themselves to sleep, Lord, you know exactly what they're trying to say because the Spirit that dwells in us and it prays perfectly. And I just thank you for that, Lord. Lord, I guess at this point, Lord, that we would use less words and more groaning if we have to. Just to allow you, Lord God, to to intercede for us. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for loving us that much. (laughs) Blessed be your name. For you are worthy to be praised. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.